0: Hi, my name is Joshua Gilo
1: And I'm Mary Weller. This is the Truth Exchange Podcast.
0: Unique podcast where we have conversations about worldview all through the lens of oneism and twoism. This lens is based on Romans 125. We've exchanged the truth of God for the lie, worship and serve creation rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Today we have a new guest, Rebecca Jones. Welcome to the podcast, Rebecca.
1: Greetings, everybody. So glad you're here, Rebecca. I'm so excited about this.
0: You are long overdue to be on this show.
2: Yes. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. We'll see you at the end.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Last week, we were touching on the subject of patriarchy. We talked about natural law, natural theology, and some of the heated discussions that are taking place in the culture at large, but there is a strong interest in gender, sexuality, How does this relate to Christians? How does this relate to the church? Why is this uptick? How are we defining sex? How are we defining gender? Mary or Stephen, do you want to jump in on that one? Or ladies first. (laughs)
1: Thanks, (laughs) Stephen.
0: And Mary, you could bring up the past podcast on transgender. That might be helpful in the discussion.
1: Yeah. So, well, I think this question has come up a lot. And I know that I've heard you and I, Joshua, have this conversation multiple times where what is the difference between sex and gender? And as I've been pondering it, I think that within the culture and certainly within the church, there's a conversation happening now where we're trying to find the two things separated from each other. So what is sex and what is gender? And I really think that it's rather than than they're being separate, there's a really a direct relationship. God created them male and female and therefore their gender roles are. So it's a, it's a therefore, and and you can't separate the two. So because Eve was created female, because Adam was created male first, uh, they were given specific roles. And so then we as human beings created in the image of God know that because we are men and women, there are different roles that are laid out for us in scripture. And I think any trying to unhook the two and let them operate, uh, separate from one another leads us immediately to problems. And so I just don't think that that's a dynamic that we should uh, acknowledge as truthful in our conversation in the church.
3: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think it's important. I mean, many would say that many would not even like to distinguish between sex and gender. And, and mm-hmm. so m- many sort of uh, Bible believing Christians would, would prefer not to talk about gender roles, but rather the sexed roles. But right. I, I, th- I find that language just a little bit clumsy and so I, right. I sort of cautiously use the, the term gender, um, but, but very carefully sort of pointing out that, that we, might, we might, as you said, Mary, distinguish between sex and gender, but we cannot separate them. And so, right. so although we might define gender, uh, sex, in terms of the biological reality of the male, the biological reality of the female, in terms of chromosomes, in terms of other physiological uniqueness, and also obviously in terms of procreation organs and things like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and we might define gender in terms of sort of roles that they play. The the gender roles are still anchored to the biological sex aspect. They cannot be separated.
1: Right. It's an if-then. If you are a woman then you have these roles assigned to you and these protections laid upon you. Uh, Yeah, so I, I think those distinctions are important. I agree with you, Stephen.
3: I mean, a lot of people would would hear you say that, Mary, and say, oh, "Whoa, whoa! You know, you're saying that women can only do this; that their role must only be to bear children, and that's all." But the, yeah. I, I think a lot of the reason people don't like the idea of gender anchored to biological sex is because there is a tendency among many people uh, to stereotype gender in a yeah. way that it should not be stereotyped. So, what yes. they, I would say, what they don't like really is unhelpful stereotypical views of gender. Mm-hmm. Girls should only like pink and should right. only want, want to do certain jobs and, and those kinds of things. Whereas a, a biblical robust understanding of our roles as relating to our uh, maleness and femaleness is far more attractive than, than a lot of the, 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 frankly, the commercially driven stereotypes that we encounter today.
1: Yeah. And that's that's key because by saying a woman has gender roles assigned to her, we're not saying she can... She can only bear children, but only a woman can bear children. Right. And only a woman can mother. So I know that right now already, you know, here Mary goes launching into controversial territory as per usual within the culture. But that's just true. Women can mother. Women can bear children. That doesn't mean that women can't have other jobs. That they can't be great at finances. A conversation that we had when we were going through the trans activist children's books in a recent episode brought up some of those stereotypes that you're talking about, Stephen. Where there's there's a little boy in one of the stories that we were play, uh, reading through who wanted to go and play hopscotch. He had played baseball with a character with the male characters, and then he wanted to go play hopscotch, and he was told, "No, girls can't do that." Well, that's a strict binary, but it's not biblical. And um, so we have all of this liberty and all of this freedom within the structures that God has set up, but there are certain things authoritatively and biologically that that we're shown clearly in scripture and, and simply in the way that white life is lived out that are specifically male and female roles.
2: I think sometimes it's also hard for single women mm-hmm. because we tend to generalize and thinking male and female, marriage, husband, wife, children, so forth. Uh, And a single woman is still a woman, but has Mm. a a lot of difficulties in trying to determine how does she relate to men, to which men, in what ways, uh, how is she a mother, even though she's not a mother, she can certainly be a mother in the church to the little ones who are there. She Mm, she can be a woman. Um, but, but I think that's a p- particular case that needs a lot of um, empathy and, yes, sort of uh, h- how to help somebody through those kinds of uh, views of, of who she is. Uh, and mm. perhaps that's also the case with a single man who doesn't quite know what to do with himself in the church either. So
0: how does that play out for the Joneses? Having children and grandchildren? When when you were raising your children to do let's let's say things around the house was there was there a conscious decision between roles that you would have your children do? I think of it at home, for instance, my wife doesn't take out the trash, and p- part of that that reason is is because at the end of the day the trash is so heavy. And so I, as as the man, she can She just can't lift it, you know. so it's it is the the natural assumption. Then, therefore, I, as the man, need to take care of that duty. Now, there's nothing biblical about it, other than the fact that she's the the fairer sex. Did how did that play out into to your guys's role as as mom and dad grandparents?
2: don't know if we thought about it all that much. I think you're right that some things just sort of naturally tend to fall in certain ways, the interest of the child. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Peter said he always felt like he was supposed to be sort of uh, parenting the boys and I was supposed to be parenting the girls, which worked out five to two, you know, two boys and five girls. So he had <laughs> an easy job of it. But no, I, I think there's these things that we do almost instinctively because of the way we were raised. And uh, some people think about it a lot. i I didn't really think that much about it. Did you think about that? I did. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Peter would take the. But I mean, they they all they played sports and. uh, But then, yeah, the girls were in gymnastics and and uh, you know uh, the others were the boys were playing soccer. I don't know now. There's girls soccer too. I um not not a lot of wisdom on that level. I don't think.
0: (laughs) So last week we had did we discussed patriarchy, which is father rule, father led. How does that as a I'm going to use the word hermeneutic but what about church or in society?
3: Well yeah um, I suppose the, the, the first thing I would say is that um, obviously yeah the word patriarchy um, is, is not a, a word that you'll actually find in the Bible but it's, it's a concept that you'll most certainly find in the Bible that, that, that fathers are the heads of families and And But one of the things is that patriarchy nowadays is is not quite defined in the way that you define it, Joshua, and this Mm -hmm. might be something worth raising to begin with. Uh, So, for example, if you read a a book like uh, Amy Bird's uh, recent book, Recovering from Biblical uh, Manhood and Womanhood, she... if if you if you sort of read through that book, and she's pretty typical of the way the word is used nowadays, if you try to sort of glean a definition of patriarchy from that particular book, it would be the way it's used in a lot of modern feminist uh, writing, which is basically men dominating over women, uh, men arbitrarily and unjustly ruling over women. And excluding women uh, unjustly from positions of influence and power and minimizing and silencing the, the feminine voice, if you like. So the, the modern understanding of, of the word patriarchy is not quite uh, as, as you have defined it, Joshua, which is, in my opinion, the correct definition, but the, the modern definition really is is about domination and uh Domination itself is, 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 a, is, a, is a word laden with negative connotations like tyranny and that sort of thing. Uh, and so pro- probably a, a good place to start is sort of just to clear up that by patriarchy, we don't necessarily mean sort of the, the illegitimate domination of men over women to the point where women aren't, intelligent agents anymore with anything to contribute and, and no longer have a, a voice to contribute. Uh, we mean a kind of leadership structure as described throughout the Bible, certainly in the Old Testament, and then redescribed in the New Testament with particular relationship to the church.
4: Patriarchy comes from two Greek words, patros, and Ake, Patras's father. Ake is rule. And I suppose we have to uh, accept the fact that in human relationships, there needs to be a principle of rule, otherwise things become totally chaotic. So I think it's a valid notion that we discover what kind of rules we apply in the functioning of a couple and a family. And that the Ultimately, responsibility falls on the Father, as uh, Stephen said, certainly flows out of what the Bible teaches about the role of men. It's the role to give support and to provide the means of living and all those kinds of things. But it's a benevolent arche, a benevolent rule, not a domination. And that's what we must always keep in mind.
3: Yeah, and it's a sacrificial It's a sacrificial model of leadership. And this is the other sort of interesting thing about Amy Bird's book, um, uh, Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. She sort of, throughout the book, criticizes patriarchy, sort of criticizes patriarchy, and then looks at at some of the verses which, you know, plainly teach, uh, you know, wives submit to your husbands. You know, Ephesians chapter five being an obvious one um not you read that do you have that uh, open up in your bible oh i can I, I can i can find it just a second yeah or if anyone else finds it more quickly than me feel free to read it but that, that's a wonderful idea
0: yeah stephen why don't you go ahead and pull that up and let's let's take a look at that text and then i i have another passage that i was going to read after you out of first yeah. peter
3: yeah yeah right
1: yeah that's where i was with first peter three
0: mm-hmm mm, um so you're, in, you're, you're going to read from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, and the context of that verse is, of course, the whole of, of the epistle, but in chapter 5, it begins with, yeah. therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. And then what's it say in 22, Stephen?
3: It says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And I'll just go on and read the, the next chapter, uh, next verse 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. If I can just say what I was going to, what I was sort of thinking as, as I was reading Amy Bird's book, she's sort of critiquing this idea of patriarchy, and then she sort of comes uh, from memory to these verses and says, well, if there is any doctrine of submission here, and there clearly is, but she sort of says, if there is any doctrine of submission, it's, it's not about sort of dominating over women, it's really about Service—it's—it's it's really about uh, servant leadership. And my response to that is: well, well yes, that is classically what what um, what complementarianism and 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 sort of those who advocate for uh, domestic patriarchy have always said. They've never said it's about domination. It's, they've always said it's about servant leadership and that sort of thing. So even critics i think of of patriarchy when they come to the text of scripture even they have to what they often wind up doing is sort of admitting uh that there is a kind of model here of a a sort of a a a, 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 um, a hierarchy if you like a headship here and 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 see it quite clearly in the way that complementarianism and, and, and defenders of patriarchy would say, it's about servant leadership.
2: I think it's interesting at the, the verse that comes right before that section, uh, and people will say, well, we need to really, it's, it's just about us all submitting to one another. So everybody has to submit to everybody else and um, do that kind of servant leadership. Well, do that servant servantness, <laughs> the service of others. But I, I really feel like there ought to be just a colon there Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, colon, wives submit to husbands, husbands love your wives, children submit to your parents. So everybody is in submission. Yes. And even the Lord Jesus is in submission to his father and to his father's will. Um, And and yet he gives himself entirely to to the church, but he's under the authority of his father. And uh, I think when we realize that everybody's under submission and that submission requires for all of us. Uh, a, a difficult job when we're sinners you know fathers don't want to bother with taking care of their you know they just want to go watch the games or whatever you know they don't they don't want to do that they have to have discipline to do that mothers aren't always wives aren't always like okay this is the greatest man that ever walked the face of the earth and therefore you know i owe him every single you know uh, accolade but uh, on the other hand we're we're all under submission so i i think the idea of submission we, we ought to all get used to the idea that mm. we don't really define ourselves and we have to mm. conform ourselves to to the patterns that god has given us individually and as women as men as children as parents as husbands etc so it, it all um, evens out in the end in a way we if, all have a yeah. job <laughs>
0: So if we are all in to be, in, in one sense, submissive to one another, then how is the Apostle Paul's call to women to submit to their hu- husbands distinct?
2: Well, I'm saying this is how you submit. He's saying we all must submit to one another. Now, here's how you do it. Mm-hmm. You know, wives, submit to your husbands and children. Submit to your parents and do what's right in, in the Lord. And And so we all have this ultimate responsibility of submission to the Lord, but we have it in the context of the, the life that he's given us, if you're a woman, you're not a man.
4: And the church submits to Christ, but Christ doesn't submit to the church.
2: Yeah. yeah.
3: Nor do children it, submit to. Pa- uh, nor do parents submit to children. That's right.
4: So it's not just a blanket statement that everybody submits to everybody. That yeah. would be senseless. Yeah.
2: Right.
4: The case of children and the case of Christ and the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. would like yeah. to simply say that this notion of submission and patriarchy as Rebecca writes in her book does Christianity squash women it's it's a valid form of organizing a family or a church or even a state we have to have principles of rule and it's not evil domination it's the only valid way of organizing uh, an ordered life. Mm -hmm. So to see this as just evil, I think undermines the need of human beings to live in structures that work.
2: Yeah. Well, and in any of those structures, it is the service aspect that makes us respect the person. If you have a, a, a politician who is out in the neighborhood, finding out what his people care about, and and uh, you know, taking care of problems that that arise in the neighborhood and that kind of thing, but that's the kind of politician you want, you know, and that's the one you elect. And mm-hmm. when you have a dad who who cares about you, then that's the the dad you honor and and you love and care about in in return. So, so mm-hmm. the more the more the person is a servant to the people that are under him, <laughs> or her. Uh, the more loved and and blessed they will be.
4: I think if you just begin off saying that patriarchy is a bad thing, you fail to respect what we've just said, that human beings need structure. And so Mm -hmm. it's foolishness to simply say patriarchy is evil. It's the way patriarchy is exercised as loving uh, servant leadership in all
3: cases. Mary, do you have something to add to this cuz I have a few things but it could be good to hear your voice now. Well,
1: I just simply think of the the thought that we raised in our last conversation about this that in every place where um, we've seen sinful oppression. It's not because patriarchy was bad. It's because one piece of that picture of submission was being adhered to, but another was not. And and that's why that entire section in, uh, Ephesians is so important. And I was just looking too at first Peter three, which, um, you know, I was brought to this, uh, portion of first Peter as a wife, um, and really was was asked to focus on the first six verses um, at one point in my life. And really never until a month later did I get down to Uh, verse seven. Now this is not an aha. So I don't have to pay attention to verse one through six, you know, about uh, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, Uh, your adornment must not be merely external braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Well, that that all is important for us, um, but the protection for women is that it doesn't stop there because... Peter, then in the inspiration of the Holy spirit goes on to say, you husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman that therefore crops up, right? Because she is a woman. This is, this is the way you do it and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. And so a man who, um, is using the idea of patriarchy as an excuse to oppress his wife, is not following the whole of what scripture says and so any place I believe firmly any place where patriarchy is oppressive I think it is because of the sinfulness of men and women that um, the whole of scripture is not being followed in those areas
3: I think that's such an important point that we need to distinguish between the the literal teaching on male headship in in scripture and how it can be misused by bad men. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that's so crucial. And, and, and when you look at the text, as you did, Mary, um, what are the, the husband's duties? Well, you know, it keeps coming back to love, kindness, not being harsh. So you know, Ephesians five twenty five: love your wives as Christ loved the church, and we mm-hmm. know how Christ loved the church. Uh, he gave his own life. Yeah. Uh, so this is. It's like, we, 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 the point we keep coming back to, male headship is not about rights, it's about duties. And any, any man who's sort of excited about male headship, well, maybe that, that's a really, really good man, but also maybe that man doesn't really understand what he's getting himself in for, what he's getting himself in for. Um, and then, you know, in, in Colossians 3.19, again, husbands, love your wives do not be harsh with them. So if we're going to talk about it purely from a, from a biblical point of view, it's, it's hard to come up with any objections to the, the biblical model of, mm-hmm. of sort of husband-wife relations. Um, now, someone might say, I mean, say someone might agree with, with you, Peter, and say, yes, of course, human beings need a, a model of authority or things turn to chaos. But then they might say, but why does that... Why does that have to be patriarchy? You know, for example, in modern democracies, we don't have chaos. Well, that's debatable, I suppose. But and we don't have sort of patriarchal monarchies. Why can't it be the same in the family where you have a sort of a, an egalitarian, uh, mutually submissive model between husband and wife over, over the rest of the household? And, and probably at that point, it's important to point out that, that, that Paul himself and the Bible itself grounds... Male headship in the very created order to begin with, so it's not something that Paul invents. It's not. It's not a question of well, we we do kind of need a model for for order, or it'll all become chaotic. So you, man, says Paul, you, you're as good as anyone else. You do it. You, you can be the head. <laughs> I it's choose you. <laughs> like, Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's grounded very much in God's act of creation, and and, I, and to be honest, I think probably a lot of that is grounded in the in in, in the. In the fact that, that women give birth to children and women nurture children. I think a lot of this goes back to sex and and sex roles that the Bible uh, teaches to be pretty typical of males and females, obviously with some exceptions. And if I could just say one more thing, if, if you'll just permit, if you'll indulge me, many people will say that the, the, the sort of the male headship view, I might use that instead of patriarchal at this point, the male headship view of the family is harmful. Uh, again, I, I, amy bird throughout her book calls uh, sort of the, the, the male headship view. She calls it dangerous. She calls it harmful uh, at various points in her book. But in actual fact, there have been studies that have been done quite recently, indicating that in actual fact, a conservative religious families are happier and much more functional uh, than all other religious kinds of families and this is actually really important research because you know our our, our sort of assumption might be oh in 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 traditional gender role families in sort of patriarchal gender role families women are probably going to be more unhappy Uh, and that's almost something that you hear in the mainstream media we certainly heard it here in australia but in actual fact, um, there, are, there are numerous studies indicating uh, quite the opposite. So a study conducted in 2019, uh, published by the Institute for Family Studies and, and the Wheatley Institutions, and the study was done by Brad Wilcox. I have his book, uh, Soft Patriarchs, uh, published by uh, Chicago University Press, Gold Standard, and, and, and others, uh, they did a they, they surveyed international surveys and found uh, that in actual fact uh, the, the happiest wives are, are wives in families where male headship is actually uh, the the operating assumption of the family structure um, and this this study is available online. Uh, for anyone to see. And, and, and time and time again, we see that the happiest, most functional families are actually uh, complementarian or male headship families, uh, ranging from the happiness of the wife to uh, the wife's, to, to, the, to literally the quality of the sex life, according to the wife, that they actually have the highest quality sex lives. Um, you know, th- this is all uh, in surveys that are readily available. And so, again, sort of the the, the objection that, that that the the male headship model is is maybe spurious and not truly taught in Scripture because it must be so dangerous is just statistically flawed. All right.
2: Yeah, no, I think that culture puts so much pressure on young women. Career, they need to prove themselves. Um, it's too scary, of course, to get married and have kids, and especially with the the way the world is going and and uh, global warming and all. Yeah. So they, you end up with this um a, a, a sense of shame if you feel that you could go and just be in a marriage, have a husband who loves you, have children, enjoy being at home with them, uh, homeschool them eventually and and just... And, and I always tell people it's the best job in the world because nobody can fire you and everybody loves you. So what more would you, what more would you want? <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of joy in it. Uh, it it's, it's not. Um, so I, I feel sorry, really, for the pressure that uh, young women are under um, in terms of marriage. They, they're not seeing it that way at all. And uh, I, I suppose, you know, you always ask yourself, am I using my gifts? Am I, am I doing enough but i think a lot of people ask themselves that if they're in a high career job as well so at any rate i i feel um that we ought to try to liberate some of these young women from the shame that they will feel culturally if they decide they want to basically have that as a career to be a, a, a wife and a mom
0: there's a lot in the culture that is encouraging women not to
2: oh yeah and, not to and- have to get married and not to have children at all. And then you see them getting married at you know 34 and then all worried because they don't know if they can have children, you know, and it, then they want the children and then it's too late to have, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I was in Australia a long time ago in 2003, I believe. And um, I met a lady, young lady, very smart young woman. She was about 37 years old, I think. And she said that she had five uh, friends from college and they had all decided to, you know to go for careers first and marriage later and uh, now all of them are miserable because they're mostly divorced they have no children none of them had any children and uh she was so sad you know you could see that she was so regretted the decisions that she'd made to go for these career things instead of you know you can have some you can have a, a marriage and have a few children and find something afterwards when they're off to school if you want you know you can find some interesting things to do if you're tired of just being at home alone and nobody around to look after anymore but um anyway you just, it never seems to go in that direction not never but it, often it doesn't so
3: it's interesting um i was speaking at a a a, a conference uh, late, uh last year and it was a conference that uh, I speak at every year for eighteen to twenty-five year olds, and you know the question of calling came up. You know, you know, what are we called to do? And and of course, the message to young people these days is to, it really it really is career oriented. I mean, if it's not just sort of vague, be who you really are kind of nonsense, it's very much sort of career oriented. And you know, I've been thinking about this for a while now, and and it occurred to me to say something that I'd never said to them before. And I said, and I said to them, you know, I, as far as I'm concerned, uh, if, if, if all, you know, if, if, you know, most of you or all of you went off and became good mothers and good fathers, that would be an incredibly high calling for all of you, uh, maybe the highest calling for all of you. And after that, I had lots of young women actually, uh, and some young men as well coming up to me and just saying sort of, thank you. I've, I've never heard that before. And mm-hmm. one young woman, this lovely young woman said to me, she said, you know something out of all the options that I've had in my life, the only thing I've ever known that I really, really wanted was to be a mother. And I've <laughs> never really been able to say that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. a lot of the young men also felt really um, encouraged by this because I, th- I think what we're doing is and, I, and this is something we keep coming back to in these podcasts and it is essentially grounding what it is that we're supposed to be doing while we're on this earth to something objective and it's a, it's, it's biologically objective and it's biblically objective and it is uh, mothering and fathering but also with the caveat that you mentioned earlier, uh, Rebecca even for those who are who do not have biological children and may not be married, even they have those male female mentoring roles as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's very interesting about the, this notion of career uh, that in uh, 2013, the Pew Research Center uh, published a study which said that two thirds of mothers would prefer not to work full time. So in actual fact, the overwhelming majority of women with children would rather actually not be working full time and spending more time with their children. But as you say, it's that's not something we hear from sort of the mainstream discourse, which would see something like that as sort of a step backwards.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a certain weight that I think the feminist movement has put on women, where uh, you hear so many women say, "Well, I'm I'm just a mom." So in opening up opportunities for women to do other things it wasn't just this also is available to you but it's that you should also be doing this and you're less than if you do not um and so there's this weight that they have so many women have this desire to be uh mothers um certainly not everyone but so many do and they feel that it's illegitimate they have to make excuses for themselves if that is their their objective their desire and their and their joy and purpose in life. And I don't think that that weight is just in their heads. I think that there is this weight that's put on girls and women um, within the culture uh, that you don't you, you don't just have to be these things anymore. Um, so then you see women taking on so much more than mothering, which is already hard work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's hard work. There's nothing that will bring you to your knees um, faster than that role and those responsibilities. Sometimes I think, and, and if you feel that you're, you're just a mom, so you're barely making it in that role. Sometimes you feel, and then there are all these other things that you should be doing too. That's a, yeah. that's a tremendous weight to carry.
2: Yeah. You know, I've done a lot of speaking to women's groups and I have never met groups of people who are feel more guilty than, than a Christian woman. And, and, <laughs> And I, well, I, I guess so you, you know that you, you always feel as if you're not doing enough for your husband and not doing enough for your children. Is it, you, you do feel that, uh, but you have to fight against it because in the end, when you get through it all, as we are now the children come back and they say mom you know you're just so glad that you were always there you were always there for us and and they say that to their dad as well you know we knew okay you know we would have liked it if you would talked to us a little bit more but you were there you were there for us you, this sort of sense of stability that they have through the thick and the thin and they don't sure they remember some of the bad things that they didn't like but most of the most of them have this this i mean all of them really have this sort of overview of just a a happy place to live you know and and what kind of what more can you give your children than that kind of a foundation
4: and i'm sure mothers particularly finally enjoy understanding the importance of their ministry uh rebecca had an important birthday a couple of years ago and uh i wrote to the kids and said would they send a note in and every one of them was just thankful for their mother Uh, like in proverbs 31 they rose up and called her blessed (laughs) and it was a lovely moment when all our kids said that about their mom
1: you know i had the privilege of being at that birthday party oh you
4: were there i was
1: there i was there with my parents and so here's what I remember about that is that all of us sitting in the audience, you know, we're hearing these, these beautiful letters that the kids had written and Peter was reading these letters and all of us were kind of like, you know, I don't do it like that. We were feeling so terrible because, you know, they were saying all of this stuff about Rebecca. And then do you remember what Rebecca said? Because <laughs> we've all talked about it afterwards. She said, gosh, it all sounds so good. I don't remember the way at all. Many of the moms at the party were talking afterwards and we're like, we love Rebecca because <laughs> her view of it was like, I just remember never feeling like I had enough oranges to feed everyone snacks. And, you know, it was constantly after everyone. So it was beautiful that that was their memory. But then Rebecca, to have you be so realistic about, you know, it's the, you, you were not like waltzing through fields of daisies and butterflies and you know, having mana fall through heaven, you you really were in the struggle. Of it. <laughs> That's
2: just oh, stuck yeah. with me. It was. It's hard. It was, oh, Joshua knows. <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe
4: this is the occasion for Rebecca to show two oh, photographs right, she yeah. has.
2: Interesting. Yeah. Here, here is sort of the beginning. I don't know if I can get this up here. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Peter and me when we first got to France, and in the little thing is our second daughter. Uh, uh, Gabrielle Stasi and then Ewan that was back in 1974 and then of course that turns into this <laughs> which is our next to last uh, family reunion there's there more than that one I could that was a, a little less recent than I couldn't find the other one but it's yeah right it, but that that's the way it's supposed to be you know um, it, it's supposed to be you start, and I actually, you know, I was doing the average because you have to have like two point one ch- child children per family, right, to to uh, keep a mm. culture alive. And I don't think with seven kids we should be a little heavier. We have sixteen grandchildren, so it's almost just barely keeping the culture yeah. alive.
3: <laughs> well, that that in itself indicates a kind of a generational cultural gap that that that, that has taken place. That the the, the the decline yeah uh in um, the decline in children uh, which m- many would would correlate with it's it's very interesting many would actually correlate that with the incline in women getting institutionally educated right uh, i i say institutionally educated because of course women uh, can can educate themselves and be educated outside of institutions but there definitely does seem to be some kind of correlation uh yeah between Education and careers, and of course a decline in in childbirth. You know, one thing that's interesting. You, you sort of someone mentioned earlier about the rise of the of the feminist movement, and I was actually struck by a statistic I came across some weeks ago. And again, it's a statistic uh, mentioned by uh, Brad Wilcox and, and and other authors in a in a New York Times article that came out on the twentieth of May two thousand nineteen called Religious Men Can Be Devoted Dads too, And this is a, a very interesting statistic. Uh, he, they, they write that um, the average amount of time that dads devote per week to childcare has risen from 2.5 hours per week in 1965 to eight hours per week in 2016. Uh, it, it just seems to me that if, if anything might explain why a lot of women in the 50s and 60s felt disillusioned with their domestic life. Mm. It may have been something like that, that maybe that was a period where fathers were spending less time with their children than they'd ever been spending, uh, because of all sorts of other social changes taking taking place, uh, whether it was the distance to travel to work and longer working hours or something like that. But it's, it's probably not a bad idea to ask ourselves, why did the the modern, let's call it the second wave feminist movement arise in the first place? Yeah, can,
0: can we just, uh, define what feminism is? Because there's been like four waves of feminism, and at one point, feminism just was like ar- arguing just for fair pay, M- females and males are they're equal. They deserve the same kind of respect. And isn't that, I mean, isn't feminism then based on that a good thing for society? Shouldn't Christians be on board with that?
3: Yeah. Um, I I mean, obviously others are going to chime in here, which is good. But I mean, I I wouldn't call myself a feminist, uh, even though I believe in, in equality between the sexes. Because first, the word equality is very, very vague. Uh, so, for example, you know, communists believe in equality uh, and I believe in equality, but I'm not a communist because the way they envisage and picture equality working out in society is something that I, I think is at the very best impractical, at worst, quite disastrous. Um, and so, you yeah, know, I'd have to be truthful and honest and, and not call myself a feminist because, because certainly modern feminism, it, it seems to be premised on the idea that if you believe that men and women are truly equal, then men and women will and ought to have all the same sort of social outcomes as men. Uh, you know, they ought to be equally represented in higher positions in, in, in organizations and in politics and in and all, and all the professions. Uh, there ought not to be really any strict role distinctions between men and women and and the fact of the matter is i don't believe that i reject that and so that's why you, to to be you know honest and not misleading i'm just not a feminist even though i believe uh, in equality so if i was to define feminism it would be not so that not so much that men and women are equal that's almost a banal statement these days and pe- that's what people will say oh if you if you believe men and women are equal you're a feminist that's not really what feminism is uh, any more than that's what communism is. If you believe people are equal, then you'll be a communist. No, it's actually much more than that. It's the idea that the proper expression of equality uh, between the sexes or the proper manifestation of that will be little to no distinctions in, in what men and women do uh, in the outward social, political, economic sphere and also in the home that's how i would define what well i might just call modern feminism
4: also the um, the whole issue of equal pay can be totally misrepresented as a male chauvinist desire to give men more money but for a long period of course the males were husbands and fathers and any women that worked were single women yeah and so fathers were given more pay because they had so many more mouths to feed. Yeah. I think you have to introduce that aspect into the whole dynamic of that issue, because that's part of the way people were thinking at that time. And it's a valid way of thinking, I happen to believe.
3: Yeah, I. I if I can just say one more thing, um, just f- from a historian's point of view, it's very common <clears throat> For people to look at the past and 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 say oh it was patriarchal meaning right. that that definition of patriarch men arbitrarily dominated over women women were denied all these opportunities that they should have had but from a historical point of view it shouldn't surprise us i mean f- the first thing i should say is from a historical point of view most men weren't educated either <laughs> the overwhelming majority of men in history were not educated the overwhelming majority of men in history could not vote uh, in you know, in who in, in the laws that presided over them or, or their rulers. I mean, these are things that actually emerged m- more, you know, sort of later in history, more in the 19th century, really. Uh, but but it shouldn't surprise us that there would be differences in the way that men and women are treated differential treatment. Again, grounded in the fact that until quite recently in history, men and women biologically, would have go on to have very different social functions. I mean, we we can't, we can't under You can't overestimate the impact that the fact that for most of history, women were going to have children. That's right. Women were not going to have a great deal of control over how many children they had. And also women were much, much more likely to die in childbirth. And so when you have Women who probably from their their mid to late teens throughout most of history are going to start having children, and when they're and, they're, and there's a good chance that they'll keep having children really towards the end of their life, mm-hmm. and that their lives are probably not going to be that long because many of them will die in childbirth. You have to ask why? Why would a culture have prioritized educating? the average woman to the degree that a man would be educated, preparing her for a life in the outside world, given the extent to which women historically have have been sort of tethered to their biology. So we've got to have a bit of historical empathy to see that that the experience of women historically is not the experience of women today. And so to Mm. decry everything about how women were treated in the past is, is really historically uh, insensitive, which is not to say that there weren't injustices, but to put it all into a broader perspective, which I suppose brings us to the, the tremendous impact, obviously, that the contraceptive pill has had in, mm-hmm. in, in sex and, and gender roles in the modern world when the contraceptive pill is introduced in round about 1960.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, just back to my point about unequal pay, actually, the unequal pay was because the man was getting more for another woman. Hmm. the mother at home
2: yeah but not many people can make it on one salary right uh, mm-hmm.
0: what yeah. what about within the feminist move, movement you have the aspect that the men and women are interchangeable anything a, a man could do a woman can do so should women be going to war should women be fighting going on the battlefield? experiencing the horrors of war
4: or is that just an old chauvinist kind of perspective should
0: women be doing
4: comes out very strongly in her book on that i think you could ask her that question
2: We well, you could try to find the quote i don't know where it is but uh, yeah i think it's, it's insane to send women on the on the battle for the very reason you know the same reason that your wife can't tr- pick up the trash can um, <laughs> You, you have the same, um, you have the lowering of standards in the army in order that the women can make it and therefore nobody is as well-trained as they used to be, um, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but I think another th- thing that's thrown a monkey wrench in the works is the transgender movement because now the feminists have no idea what feminism is anymore because <laughs> who, who are the women? Right, you know it. it I, and they, some of those uh, second wave—I don't know which wave—I can never keep up with the waves. But um, the, we're
0: currently they, on the fourth.
2: Okay. Yeah. Well, I don't know <laughs> how. How are they uh, supposed to figure out? You know how this all. Some of them are very angry because now they don't get to be women. You know the fact. Exactly. Is, was women who were claiming rights for themselves and uh, and now we don't they don't you know they don't like the idea of some man coming in and, and taking all the privileges that they've worked so hard to earn when uh, they're, they're they've already got all the privileges just don't do that to us you know don't come and steal away all our, our sports and you can come and beat us and what's the point there's no no more women's basketball no more women's this or that or the other it, it, they, they're furious about it so I think it's gotten very confused.
1: Uh, Uh, I hear that phrase that uh, turf thrown around now. So any feminists who do insist that feminism is for biological women now are called trans exclusionary radical feminists. That's what that
2: stands for. I never figured that one out. Yeah.
1: I don't know why. (laughs) Yeah. So the, the trans exclusionary radical feminists, a lot of them will even say, we think that there need to be safe spaces for trans women. It's just that those, Safe spaces can't also be for biological women because, of course, you know we have the issues of, you know, uh, th- there have been instances where homeless shelters that are specifically for women, who many of whom who have endured uh, violence against them because they were women, then are further violated by men who are claiming to be women and who are using those systems. In the state of California, you have women prisoners who are now complaining, and I think that they have the first pregnancy recorded where. Uh, any man who claims to be a woman can be put into a women's prison now. And so here, these women are literally caged with biological men and are being abused. But when they speak out about it, they're called anti-trans or transphobic. Uh, so it is a metal. It is a, a tremendous mess that we've we've gotten ourselves into with this.
2: I don't see why you can't just have uh, trans uh, teams, you know, competing against each other. So, right basically it comes down to men competing against men and women against women again so (laughs) right right back where you started but
1: But there is that insistence in the trans activist movement where they will say and they'll just say it over anything that you have to say um this mantra of trans women are women trans women are women so if you distinguish between the two you're in trouble and and that's what got uh jk rowling in so much trouble was that she dared to say that sex was real and yeah. uh, so then then you run into that problem the sex gender you know separation but it's it's a little crazy making um
3: peter you mentioned last week about the influence of eastern mysticism sort of making one and it's sort of distaste for distinctions more more grounded in, in sort of in, in culture but i can't help but think that, that, that the modern transgender phenomenon is related to the earlier question we were discussing which is uh, you know, can men do anything that women can do? And, and uh, of course, the, the answer to that is sort of yes and no. Uh, there probably is a woman out there who can do, you know, something that a, a man can do in a particular situation. So find a really good male, you know, combat soldier. You know saying there probably is a woman out there who can, who can probably, you know, match him you know obviously a very rare kind of woman but but we've got to be careful that we're always asking these questions we're always asking general sort of generalities that, that, are, that are helpful and and the fact of the matter is that as a generalization uh, no, women are less likely uh to enter into the uh, certain stem professions like engineering than men um probably for uh differences in personality that you will find on average between men and women, which isn't just to say that no women can be engineers. It's just given uh, differences in personalities between men and women, uh, that men are probably more likely to gravitate towards those kinds of vocations, and women are probably more likely to gravitate towards other kinds of vocations. But to, to link this to the transgender phenomenon, i I think this is all kind of connected because i think one of the things that has made transgenderism sort of a socially uh powerful movement these days i think there are a few things i think i mean i have no doubt that there have been people all throughout history that have felt that they were sort of a man trapped in the body of, of a woman or a woman trapped in the body of the man there's just no doubt in my mind that that is something that has been throughout history But why has it become so socially acceptable now? Mm -hmm. And I think the answer to that is a few things. I think uh, social media has turned these individuals into something that earlier they could not form, and that is a a community. They can now contact one another and and find out that there are actually thousands of people out there just like me. I never knew. I thought it was just me, but here with this social media, I've connected with, and so it, t- it can turn them into really a, a community and an identity group, an identity politics group. But I think even uh, beyond that, you know, again, since since the rise of 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 effective contraception in the nineteen sixties, you know, one of the key roles and and abilities and distinguishing factors about men and women has been diminished. And it is it is motherhood, it, it is procreation. And so when you have more and more women putting off motherhood or even motherhood just because of the pill becoming really just an accidental element of what it is to be a woman now, mm-hmm. then the distinctions mm-hmm. between male and female that, that may have been very clear in people's minds prior to the 1960s, start over time to kind of break down. Mm. Um, Nowadays, if someone says, well, you know, what is it, you know, what is it to be a woman? And and in that, someone puts motherhood as very, very central, we kind of in the modern world sort of balk at that. And what you find is that when we think about what it is to be a woman and what it is to be a man in the modern world, we actually don't like any kinds, we don't like distinctions uh, between those two we often tend to settle on them well you know it, it, uh, they're both kind of the same uh, and I think that was made possible by contraception which in our minds minimized the relationship of of motherhood and children to womanhood and also probably the rise of technology which has allowed women increasingly to do jobs that historically only men could do so these days who lifts boxes you use a forklift Well, I mean, women can do that now. And so there there are just a whole bunch of cultural and biological signals feeding into our minds up until the 1960s, making clear what we might call sex and gender distinctions um, almost undeniable. But again, since the pill and the effect that that's had on male-female relationships on how we understand what it is to be a woman and how we understand what it is to be a man, what's happened over time is that the, the proposition that, oh, male and female are really just social constructs, which is something that's intrinsic to a lot of transgenderism, that has gained a plausibility that it couldn't have gained uh, prior to the 1960s.
4: That practical stuff is very helpful, Stephen. But I will come back to what I did say, that those practical issues fit amazingly with the spiritual issues of Eastern... Oneism and Carl Jungian uh, psychology, which play down distinctions, and so you have this amazing joining of these two kinds of things modern day issues, as you've mentioned, plus the invasion of this kind of one is spirituality denying any ultimate distinctions. And uh, some of the new ages, or one particular, Gene Houston. Uh, said she felt called in 1977, I think I mentioned this last week, to develop a cosmology for new age people. And it was based on androgyny. She She began to establish a cosmology based on androgyny. And when you look at homosexuality and when you look at transgenderism, you actually have the mixing the blending of male and female. A male who says he's a woman is blending both male and female. A pair of homosexuals that make love are doing it as male and female. And so we really do have in our time, an ideology of androgyny. And that's a thorough undermining mm. of the biblical understanding of ourselves made in God's image as male and female, and thus undermining who God is as distinct from us. So the spiritual and the practical fit amazingly well together in undermining what the Bible is trying to establish as what is normative. And I think it's a massive problem. And uh, you're pointing out those particular practical issues only point again to the difficulty of our preaching of the truth in such a way as to make it valid Namely, that males and females are made in God's image to reflect who God is as distinct from us.
0: Next week on the Truth Exchange Podcast.
2: We have this beautiful, positive thing that we are safe in our identities in Christ. Good, you've replaced yourself and you know to stop now.
0: Stop idolizing the nuclear family, idolizing marriage.
4: Gnostics rejected any serious male and female
0: differences. This concludes the episode of the Truth Exchange Podcast. This program is listener-supported and only made possible through the contributions of friends like like you